Welcome to The Art of Living Proactively, episode 239, with Stephen Borden, who explains how blood flow restriction or BFR training works and its benefits. He outlines how BFR uses inflatable cuffs to restrict blood flow, allowing people to gain muscle and endurance at lower training intensities. And he covers about how BFR can aid rehabilitation, how it's useful for traveling athletes, how it helps our cognition through lactate exposure, and a lot more. And he emphasizes about how to use it in a proactive way when you're unable to train higher intensities, maybe because of injury or because you're staying in a hotel room or something. And he advises starting with lighter loads and going close to failure for muscle growth. Overall, he conveys how BFR allows maintaining momentum despite circumstances that may limit training. So we've got a really interesting episode today with Stephen Borden, all about blood flow restriction. If you do know anyone who would really get some value from this episode, please do share it with them. One, leave a review for us. Please do subscribe and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Art of Living Proactively. My guest today, Stephen Borden. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm well. Thanks for having me. And we were just having a quick chat before we started recording and you're in Southern California, not that I'm envious at all. I'll refrain from showing the camera outside where you can see the sunshine and ocean and all that. If I say, we've actually, the weather here is, is very typical of England. It's very downcast, could rain at any time, but it's not raining. But we might talk about weather. So Stephen, I discovered you... When I started researching a lot more into blood flow restriction, and you're a bit of an expert in that, and there'll be many people listening to this show who will be saying, what the hell did he just say? What is blood flow restriction? So, do you want to educate our listeners? What is blood flow restriction? Yeah. So it's a, it is a training modality that has been around for decades now, technically. It really kind of came into the scene as far as formal literature goes and as far as more heavy adoption in rehabilitation and performance settings in the last, I'd say, 20 years. Uh, and it is it pretty much what it sounds like. So it involves placing an inflatable cuff generally on either your upper arm or upper leg. Generally, it's both limbs at one time, uh, your legs or both legs or both arms. And what that cuff is going to do is inflate enough to restrict all the blood flow from leaving your legs. We have arterial flow that's, you know, your arteries are carrying blood into the limbs and then your veins kind of transport that blood back out towards your heart. And these cuffs are going to prevent blood flow from leaving your limb, which sounds bad. It's actually not in this case. And they're going to partially restrict blood from going into your limb. So generally somewhere between 40 and 80% of the blood that would normally travel into your limbs is occluded. And then you engage in some form of training. There's, it can be separated into more resistance training. So with a, a goal of building muscle or your standard kind of endurance training, there's a, that's a whole separate conversation. But the idea behind blood flow restriction is that the added stress of the occlusion through several mechanisms, which we can get into if you want, allows you to train at a lower intensity. So by intensity in resistance training, we mean less weight. Uh, in endurance training, generally, it's a, you could think of it like a, a lower pace, a slower pace or less output. You can train at a lower intensity and still achieve uh, pretty significant results in terms of muscle mass or gains, increases in endurance. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the elevator pitch for BFR training and where 
once you have that kind of fundamental understanding, you can begin to think about situations where it would make a lot of sense to apply BFR training. What situation would it be advantageous for me to train at a lower load, but still be able to maintain or build muscle? Right away, you think, okay, injury rehabilitation. If I've got a torn ACL, I'm probably not going to be loading 405 pounds on my back or what will go, you're in the United Kingdom, we'll go kilos, 200 kilos or whatever the conversion is on my back, but I don't want to lose muscle. We know that that muscle can contribute significantly to overall health, longevity, but also injury risk on the field of play or in life. That's one instance where BFR can be a real modality that makes a lot of sense to apply. And then there's a ton of other instances from there. Um, That's kind of the elevator pitch. Would I be right in assuming, therefore, it would be very useful for older people um, because they wouldn't be needing to use in such high weights as well? Yeah, there's been a good deal of research in aging populations. There is some studies now we've seen where simply putting the cuffs on and having these individuals walk on a treadmill at a pretty slow pace, they're building muscle mass in their legs. Someone like me, or if you think about a power lifter, somebody who resistance trains fairly frequently, they're not going to gain any muscle by walking under BFR. The stimulus is just not significant enough. But for exactly as you said, for elderly, uh, this can be an awesome modality for not only getting more out of your treadmill walk, but building muscle in a way that allows you to maybe spare your joints a little bit. Mm. If joints are generally the concern for that population. Mm -hmm. And you start to point it in in your description, but one of the first responses I get when I talk to people about BFR is that sounds very dangerous. Yep. And we, so that's because of that, we've done quite a bit of research at Saga for just, we wanted to create kind of like a, what does the current literature say on BFR safety? Uh, And it it seemed right off the bat, there's a few things that people are most concerned about. One is blood pressure because it just seems like you're restricting blood flow. There's no blood flow going back to the heart. Blood pressure is going to rise. Uh, And then the other one is blood clotting. And what we've seen in the literature is that BFR appears to be about as safe as general physical training, resistance training, as long as the intensity is matched. So what BFR will do is increase the intensity of whatever you're doing. So if you walk on a treadmill at two miles per hour, that's going to be, for most people, a very low intensity. Now, if you walk at that same exact speed under BFR, that's going to just naturally going to raise the intensity of that, which is perfectly fine for most people. But there's no, doesn't appear to be any physiological difference between uh, somebody walking at two miles per hour under BFR versus somebody walking maybe just a little bit faster without BFR. Right. So all it's really doing is kind of enhancing the stimulus. It's just making it more difficult. There's less blood flow reaching your legs and there's no blood leaving your legs uh, for several physiological reasons. The difficulty is enhanced. So is it making the muscle work more efficiently or what? how is it doing that? So there's a few things. As far as resistance training goes, we have when blood accumulates in your limbs. So if you've ever, most people who've lifted weights know the feeling of the pump, you know, the Arnold classic, your, your muscles start to swell. Mm-hmm. It seems like the pump itself might be independently cause hypertrophy. So when the muscle cells actually swell, this could be a signal to the body to eventually grow. And what happens under BFR is we've got some blood coming in and no blood leaving. So there's the swelling effect is kind of magnified. And this could be one reason why the BFR seems to lead to a significant muscle gain. 
uh, even at lower loads. So there's kind of that element. And then yeah, you're training with less, a huge adaptation or I guess response to training when we're, when we're resistance training or uh, doing some form of endurance training. After a while, the uptake of oxygen becomes more and more difficult, just supply and demand kind of issue. Maybe that's oversimplified, but, um, and when we're training under BFR at, at times, we've got 80% less blood flow reaching the limbs. Um, so it kind of expedites the process to get to that level, just enhance that you could you know, get on an, an assault bike and burn out as fast as you can for a long period of time. And you're going to get to that level. And in the example of BFR, you could probably get there quicker and with less output just by applying the cuffs to your limbs. And so I believe there's quite a few sort of professional sports teams are starting to use this now, or have been using it for a while now. Yeah, you'd be hard pressed to find a elite sporting organization that's not applying BFR at some scale. Some organizations will mainly have the cuffs in the athletic training room. So when players go down with an injury, it's one of the earlier modalities that they'll apply. Hmm. Other organizations include them as part of their performance modalities that they'll apply. UFC Performance Institute is a primary example. Uh, they had you know, cuffs equipped for every single one of their fighters in there in Vegas. And it just depended on the organization. But yeah, pretty much if you're a modern physical therapy sports or just a sports performance facility, you're going to have BFR as a tool there. And am I right in thinking that in the early days of it, it was more bodybuilders, people who were trying to get hypertrophy? Who were using this, but now it's spread to many other types of sport. You mentioned endurance and so on before. Yeah, Yoshiaki Sato. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He was the, the I guess, the inventor of katsu, the original what he called BFR training was just katsu. Um, and he was, from my understanding, had an interest in bodybuilding. So when he first kind of had the idea, he was at this memorial service and where you kind of sit on your knees for a long period of time mm-hmm. and he started to feel this, his calves felt like they were, he had been doing calf raises, like they had this huge pump. And he, he wondered, is this because I've, the way I've been sitting, blood flow is not getting into my calves. And then he thought, I wonder if we just restrict blood flow from getting into the limb, if it can mirror some bodybuilding effects, kind of a novel uh, thought process that he had at the time. And so he ended up doing some research. And so, yeah, his early interest was for muscle building, but the, I believe he he had some sort of injury. And then that really kind of um, pushed him further down that rabbit hole of, hey, it, low load training makes a lot of sense when you're trying to recover. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so now it's spread into the, the rehab setting, performance setting, endurance athletes, CrossFit athletes, pretty much everywhere. And see, so you mentioned blood, blood pressure before. So would it, would it help someone with low blood pressure or would someone with low, high blood pressure rather be advised not to use it? I'm not aware of any literature that suggests somebody with higher blood pressure should not use BFR. I always caution by saying, look, I'm not a, I'm not your doctor. So if anybody's listening, go talk to your doctor. Mm. That said, probably one of the best things to do here. I am right after I said, I'm not a doctor prescribing things, but in general, lifting or moving weights and getting your heart rate up, any form of physical activity is going to be good for somebody who's got high blood pressure in almost every case. Um, if BFR is kind of the tool that, again, in the example of if you, if walking on a treadmill is all we're going to be able to get you to do, then yeah, let's strap some BFR cuffs on and let's try to, let's try to get you closer towards, you know, we want you breathing a little bit. We want your heart rate elevated a little bit more. Um, And so that's 
times where I found it to be a really nice tool as well for somebody who's just not willing to push to a certain level to get that heart rate up. BFR, I get is a modality there. So one, I emailed you a couple of weeks ago about a condition and I haven't discussed it on this show before. I've been meaning to introduce it, but I know that there's some listeners to this show suffer from, and I have it very mildly myself, something called Deportrin's contracture, and I may have pronounced that completely wrong. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. Would something like this help at all with that? Can you, and I know you mentioned this before, and I'm, would you describe the, the kind of effects of this condition for me briefly? So as best, I'm no expert on this at all, but you get these sort of cords in palms of your hands, typically, right? You probably won't be able to see it here. And, and some people get it, I have it very mildly, but it gets so bad for many people that their hands kind of get in a claw shape or maybe just one or two fingers do. And it causes all sorts of problems and they have to have operations and so on. But from what I, my understanding of it, and there seems to be, uh, I've searched all over the place on YouTube and on Google and, and podcasts and whatever, and there's just so little information around about it. But from what I do understand, improving blood circulation would improve this condition, but I'm not absolutely sure on that. A few interesting things come to mind, and this is just conjecture at this point, but one, if you, I'm assuming with this condition, you'll do some sort of rehabilitation exercises, constant trying to move the hand. This, this may be a situation where those exercises done under BFR, you might see, you might see a little bit more, you might see some favorable results there for a few reasons. And then once BFR has been removed so that there's an interesting, we, I interviewed an endurance researcher who's done quite a bit of research under with BFR specifically regarding endurance for cycling and rowing athletes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he described is something called reactive hyperemia. So we've seen this in, in lower limb, uh, in the lower limbs where when the blood flow has been occluded for a certain period of time, and then you remove the cuff, there's this, basically it makes a lot of sense just on the face. If blood flow is occluded for a long period of time, and then you finally kind of open the channel up, a ton of blood comes rushing through at that moment. This place is, again, something that sounds maybe bad. Uh, it's actually, it can be pretty helpful. It places a sheer stress on the artery. Uh, this is called reactive hyperemia. And that sheer stress on the artery actually causes the artery to dilate a little bit. And it can remain in that state for some time. And so if you're training under BFR consistently, you actually can have a resting femoral artery diameter that's bigger, which just means more blood flow at any given time is passing through that artery. And again, this is just conjecture, but I'm wondering if there may be a situation where constant exposure to BFR on your arm may lead to this kind of resting femoral, or not femoral artery, femoral arteries down your leg, increase in the, the arteries, mm -hmm. the artery that's carrying blood to the rest of your arm, potentially. Yeah, that, that's one thought. When you say for some time, what would that be? 10 minutes, 20 minutes? What, what kind of time period would that be? That was actually one of the questions that I asked the researcher, and we don't really know yet. He seemed to think that a couple, tra just training BFR a couple times a week, you can kind of get that to stick around, which is pretty cool, that adaptation. Hmm. Um, and so from my point of view, I would apply it a couple times a week and uh, assume that'll hang around for a while. And I'm sure over time, it can compound a little bit. Uh, we see this with a lot with a ton of physiological responses, even as far as hypertrophy goes or muscle growth, 
there seems to be a kind of a preparatory phase and then a phase where the muscle is more sunk in wrong nomenclature there, but where you, when muscle grows in the initial phase, it might not be as, as um, sticky where it's going to hang around. So you need to continue training a little bit longer before it's kind of there. And then if you were to back off and go into more of a maintenance phase where you lower your training volume, uh, that muscle will be more likely to stick around. And so I'm wondering if, if there may be some sort of preparatory phase. Again, I'm, I'm spitballing here, but yeah, just uh, on the face, it doesn't seem like there'd be anything harmful about it. If anything, it could be useful. It's certainly something I'm going to play around with and see, be interested and see what happens. As I said, I have it very mildly and related to that. It's not related to that condition, but what the, how you were just describing the sort of blood flow and so on, circulation. And it got me thinking about, I don't know if, how familiar you are with the sort of word of breath holding and so on. And when you hold your breath for a certain amount of time, it increases red blood cells and so on. And so there's, is there any connection with what's happening with BFR and that sort of thing or nothing at all? Technically, in a way, yeah, because BFR is your, you are creating a, an environment that's very similar to higher intensity training in most cases. Mm. And so you'll see an elevation in CO2. Um, you'll see accumulation of a ton of metabolites. So, you know, that burn that you feel in your legs when you squat, do a set of 20 or something on squat or run up a hill, that is several things. It's There's hydrogen ions that build up in your legs, but there's also lactate. Most of us are familiar with lactate right. and BFR. That's largely caused by constant muscle contractions, just requiring energy and oxygen that is technically not that there, but yeah, so you're kind of replicating this high intensity environment. So in a way, yes. So for someone, you touched upon endurance. So one guy was asking me some questions about this and by no means am I an expert. So I'm not sure why he was asking me, but obviously, because I had some cuffs of it, that's why he was asking me, but he does a lot of, uh, what is it? He does like hundreds of mile runs and so on. And I mentioned to him that I knew that these were useful for people that did endurance, but I couldn't answer him the question as to why. Yeah. So endurance athletes, and I'm definitely not, it's far away from my space. So I try to avoid going too deep into something that I've done a ton of research on or don't have a lot of direct experience with uh, being an endurance athlete myself. But I know that endurance athletes will, they do plant, they have plenty of exposure to kind of your long, steady state. Your a friend of yours that's run will do 100 mile kicks that he, he probably has an extreme amount of exposure to that kind of lower threshold, long duration, steady state training. And BFR can be a case where it, it's hard to get a lot of those athletes, from my understanding, to to want to engage in this super high intensity training just because it feels far away from what they generally need to do when they compete. So, but we know that having some exposure to really high intensity training can, for several reasons, in, increase their performance by quite a bit. And so for, for one, you have that potential resting femoral artery, uh, increasing the diameter, which is pretty cool. And then for two, it's a fast way for them to get exposure to really high intensity training, get their body really good at buffering that lactate that builds up. If you have that experience where if you go to run 20 miles, lactate's not really a huge problem. You don't, your legs are not on fire the entire time. But if you were to run a 400 meter dash, that's where you realize your legs feel like they're going to blow off. Um, and so BFR can be a fast, efficient way for them to get exposure to those settings or those physiological environments versus those you know, 20, 30 mile runs. 
Are there any sports or types of people that it's not advised to use something like this? In general, if you've got, if you're seriously dealing with DVT or really have a history of blood clotting, we try to say, you know, maybe avoid it. Talk to your doctor. Yeah, always talk to your doctor. That said, there there've been there's a ton of literature out there now. There's one study, at least one or two that I'm aware of, that looked at uh, elder elderly folks with congestive heart failure. Um, they put them through us. I think it was a six week BFR training phase, a couple times a week, and they didn't see any detrimental outcomes. Which immediately you'd think, okay, congestive heart failure, maybe people would you'd want to avoid training at a BFR. And there've been a, several studies like that with pe- different pathologies that uh, people have, and generally they're older folks as well. Um, and we we've yet to see negative outcomes directly attributed to BFR, which is pretty cool. And it's even used for, for swimmers, isn't it? Yeah. Swimmers, any endurance athlete, swimmers, rowers, cyclists will engage in BFR training. You, know, you have the technically the difficulty of trying to I've seen swimmers try to apply BFR in the water. And one of the difficulties you have there is most devices that are, for example, our device, it's, it has some electronic components to it. And, and those are there for a reason. Believe me, if it was, if it made sense to just create a strap, we would create a strap and you, the complexity of production would be um, significantly reduced and our margins would probably be better. But I ha- you technically could wrap a strap around your legs or arms and go in the water. Um, the difficulty there is you're really unsure how much blood flow is being occluded at any given time. Mm-hmm. Are you training under complete occlusion, meaning there's literally no blood reaching your limbs? Probably don't want to do that uh, for that long. Um, or are you just training at maybe a level that's not enough to create a stimulus? And then third, if you're repeating this type of training and on Monday you get in the water and you wrap your straps up, and you have, let's say, it, it ends up occluding maybe 50% of the blood flow into your limbs. And you time yourself, you do whatever swimmers do. And then on Thursday, you come back and do the same thing, but it's wrapped a little bit tighter and now it's at 80% occlusion. Mm. And you time yourself again. There's a, a huge difference between 50 and 80. Um, it's, it's a tracking problem. And I know with, with people who lift weights that we track our sets, our reps, tech, sometimes our rest time. How many reps we have in reserve? We track all these metrics. Um, and I think if we're training with BFR, we should use the same level of specificity and tracking there. Um, it's, that's an example that maybe swimmers may have an issue with if they're trying to use a strap. And so what is the reason why people shouldn't wear this? Because you mentioned the straps can be used at the top of the arm, top of the leg, but you shouldn't use both at the same time. And why is that? Yeah, it's. I've seen people do it and... Some people do it all the time and they love it. We don't advise it. When you have, like I mentioned, it's not so much about the blood getting into your limbs. In this case, it's about the blood that's not leaving your limbs. A ton of blood is being trapped in your legs. Totally fine. Then you add on top, a ton of blood is being trapped in your arms. So there's a lot of blood that's not making its way back to your heart. And that can reduce, uh, relatively reduce what's called your stroke volume. When you when your heart beats, it pumps out a certain amount of blood. It's kind of in reference to your stroke volume. Mm-hmm. And part of what helps that process go along is the blood coming back to the heart. Um, it kind of rushes back to the heart and almost creates this like elastic pump that shoots heart blood back down. And when blood flow is significantly reduced, the amount of blood that's going back to your heart, your stroke volume can go down maybe to a level that would not be uh, six. That's my understanding. And, and would using these affect heart rate variability in any way? 
Potentially. Uh, in the moment, certain your heart rate variability when your heart rate climbs basically it is horrendous. Um, so at any time you're training, running, lifting weights, whether you're using BFR or not, your HRV is going to be super low, which is totally fine. People look at HRV as a measure of recovery. It's That's a tough one. I think it's a, probably a really lagging indicator. Uh, we've seen that over time. Uh, if you wake up in the morning and your HRV is super low, that could be attributed to so many things. Uh, it might not have anything to do with your physiological state currently. It could have just been that you ate a late meal, not to go down the rabbit hole on HRV. You could have maybe had a little bit of alcohol before bed. You might have just been hotter than normal and your resting heart rate was a little bit high. Uh, so that complexity, uh, but then also it all, it seems to be a really lagging indicator that if your HRV is down, you probably needed rest maybe several days before. But what BFR can do in the, we talk about BFR as a recovery tool is if you're in a case where you want to make sure you maintain muscle, but your joints are feeling it and you're, you know, the, the psychological and physiological fatigue that comes from getting under heavy weights, BFR can allow you to kind of push that aside for a little bit get under some lighter loads, spare your joints, bring down total fatigue, but still drive a pretty strong stimulus to your muscle, the local muscle, which is ultimately what you're looking to grow in most cases. That, in that case, you could, you could see a HRV change um, over time if you kind of reduce fatigue a little bit through BFR. So give it a couple of examples. So say someone, we've got two, two people, the first person who is looking for hypertrophy and they want to incorporate this into their training somehow, what would be a suggested way that they could use this? Like how many days a week? And then someone else who isn't looking to be a bodybuilder or anything, just wants to maintain sort of general sort of fit and so how would it differ for those two cases? Yeah, there's, there's so many ways you could take this because we'll get questions of people who will say, I want to train pretty much exclusively under BFR. Right. And that would be kind of one answer for the resistance training. And then some people say, I just want to kind of talk in a session. If you're, if for option two, if you just want to kind of include it as a, maybe a modality in your training, um, I'll just try to stick to somewhat uh, common numbers here for somebody who's maybe in the gym three times a week, mm. maybe they train full body three times a week. Uh, what they could do is if they want to sprinkle BFR in, they could do finishers with BFR on your lower body day. If you've got a quad focused session, you could maybe you're, if you're, if you really want to continue lifting heavy weights cool do your thing and then after your last set you could do a set of 30 under bfr body weight only or with very limited load somewhere around 20 percent or your one rep max i would say if you want to elevate your heels that'll help you in that case put more emphasis on your quads and less on your spine which is kind of cool in that case you want to grow your quads um, so you could sprinkle something like that, or for upper body, you could do a bicep, tricep, superset. So some, any curl, bicep curl variation, supersetted with a tricep extension um, variation. And these are generally higher rep sets. So in general, if you're training with BFR, you should pick a weight that you can manage about 20 to 30 reps with. So that's a good starting point. And if you're using it for your entire session, so to kind of go back to the person in example number one who wants to pretty much exclusively train with BFR, the 30-15-15-15 protocol is a really good kind of calibration starting point for people. And we have a whole episode on that on the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast if you want to just look up. It's called 30-15-15-15, I think. And all it means is you do one set of 30 followed by three sets of 15 with about 60 seconds rest in between sets. You don't have to strictly adhere to those numbers. Those are kind of like a guiding framework. So the most important thing is that 30. 
strap your cuffs on, use occlusion somewhere around 50%. So you're about 50% of the blood flow traveling into your limbs is occluded at this time. It's a pretty good starting place for most people. And then pick a weight, whatever movement you're doing. And there's either, you don't need to do special magic movements because you're training under BFR. You can do pretty much any movement that you would do normally in the gym. Pick a weight that you can manage about 30 reps with. And then the most important thing is just to make sure that you get close to failure. You should be probably within a couple reps away from going, I could not push up another rep if I wanted to. Once you've done that and you rest maybe 60 or so seconds, go back to your second set and same thing. It might be 15 reps, but it might be 17. It might be 21. Um, you'll see what you'll see is that each set you do, each subsequent set, you're going to be able to produce less reps. If you do more reps in set four than you did in rep set two, you probably did something wrong. And so that's kind of a good starting place. Think about just movements that you would normally do in the gym. It's a long roundabout answer. But to, in summary, pick movements you would normally do in the gym, somewhere around 50% occlusion. Make sure your first set is around 30 reps. Uh, pick a weight that you can manage around 30 reps. And then most importantly, just try to stick to proximity of failure. So maybe one to two reps or all the way to failure. And then do a, a volume that you can handle and you can recover from. So if you're training three times a week, whatever amount of sets allow you to, wow, that was a really tough session. But when I come back on Wednesday, I'm recovered and ready to go again. That have a, a guiding framework that you can use BFR or not for training to put the most amount of muscle on in, in the safest possible way. And, and I guess is that its biggest selling point that in that situation, if you've got one guy who's just always doing really, really heavy weights and then he just feels really bad for the next couple of days because they work so hard. If someone else who's training with BFR, they're not going to feel so bad afterwards, I know. Yeah, there's some interesting research on this. And for sure, you're going to have a lot less stress on your joints. If you've ever put you know, 200 kilos on your back or pulled 200 kilos or more off the floor or whatever that is relative to your strength, a, a lot of weight, you'll notice that when the weight gets high enough, you start feeling it in the joints. Uh, you might be fine in the session, but the joints will start to, to wear over time. And that's fine, but it's something to manage. And we know that our connective tissue and our tendons recover slower than our muscles do. They get less blood flow. So they, they re their recovery timeline are a lot slower than our muscles. And because of that, over time, our muscles might be in a place where they're ready to produce a ton of force, but our connective tissues are kind of hanging on by a thread. Mm. And so BFR can be a really good tool there where you're like, wow, I'm still training the muscle a ton. And funny enough, BFR appears to to provide a similar stimulus to our connective tissues as heavy lifting. Um, this is still some science to sort out there, but there could be some really interesting research over the next few years on BFR being a, a modality to improve the strength and health of people's connective tissues at much less of a cost with much less weight and uh, risk of injury, which is cool. Yeah, absolutely. And from listening to my mention show, I've listened to quite a few of the episodes of your podcast and we'll talk about the podcast in a minute, but you've, I, I often hear you mention about there's a ton of research gone on, on BFR over the last, what, 10, 20 years, isn't it? A ton. Yeah. And, it, and there's, shoot, BFR is kind of known for this low intensity training. People are training with higher weights as I just get it protocol wise, uh, but there's people doing research now on high load BFR training, you know, what does it look like if you're training on, you know, heavy sets of five under BFR? Um, there's people looking at, you know, NASA is doing research on, they'll use BFR as a tool for, for, you know, anti-gravity situations. And yeah, there, there's BFR research happening in pretty much every vector, which is really cool. 
So your, your podcast, it's called the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast, isn't it? Yeah. And so you've About been- as straightforward as you can get there. And you're up, how many episodes was it? 30, 40, 50 or something? We've got about 20 plus episodes up now. Okay. And you've covered quite a different sort of range of different types of training and so on in those episodes. Yeah, we actually have, uh, we've gone through endurance, uh, different protocols. We, you know, we went through the 30, 15, 15. Uh, we go into more physiology of what's happening inside the body when you're training at a BFR. Um, we did a three episode series on co- potential cognitive benefits of BFR training, which is really cool. We try to keep the you know, topics as spread out as possible and dive into a ton of different spases there. Without, as you said, it was three episodes, so I'm not going to ask you to exactly what are the cognitive benefits, but just a sort of yeah. a brief summary. But then that might really surprise some people listening. Cognitive benefits. Yeah. But the 60 second pitch is, uh, it appears that lactate, which we were just talking about is a brain enhancer, oversimplified way of putting it both short and probably long-term as well. Constant exposure to lactate. Uh, Dr. George Brooks, he's a, a researcher at Cal Berkeley. He ta- he calls lactate fuel for the brain. Um, and what we see is when we've trained with elevated lactate for a period of time, we'll see some cognitive enhancement uh, in a few different cognitive domains for a period of time, a couple hours even after training. And the problem is in some cases when getting a big rise in lactate requires pretty significant output again, but if you get under BFR, you've got less blood flow reaching your limbs. It's a bit easier to get significant increases in lactate, sometimes three to six fold versus what you would see without BFR. Um, and so exposure to lactate can potentially improve cognition, both short and long-term, which is really cool. And BFR is kind of a fast way of getting that lactate accumulation quickly. And there's still a lot of people under the misapprehension that lactate is bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually the hero that comes in and prevents you from dying of acidosis, basically. So yeah, lactate physiology is really interesting and um, our body will find ways to something to do with it. And one of the places that it takes it is the brain because the brain can just chew it right up. And yeah, that's one reason why I think the BFR and cognition space is really interesting and that just as a practical tool that people can use. Some of the research, all they did was take people um, and have them walk on a treadmill, back to the treadmill example. They, they got a certain amount of exercise on the treadmill, and then others did the same protocol under BFR, same speed, everything else. And you see fairly significant changes between the two environments. Um, so if you are already going, for, for me, I take several walks a day just for productivity's sake and increase my overall activity. And it's kind of an easy thing to just strap some cuffs on and know, maybe get a little bit more out of that walk than you normally would. And so I, as you said that, the first thing that came into my mind was, well, therefore it's really, it can be paired with something like rucking. Yeah, definitely. Rucking is a is longer duration, especially if you're going uphill. Yeah, it'll, it'll be fairly difficult. So for people who are listening and thinking, wow, this sound, especially what you're just talking about in the cognition and something, yeah, and all those other areas you mentioned. Definitely check out the podcast because the, yeah, Steve goes really deep into cognition and many of the other things. So check out the blood flow restriction podcast. And if people want to find out more about you and Saga and blood flow restriction, where would you advise them to look? Yeah. So we actually post a lot of short form educational content on our Instagram. So our Instagram is at move saga, move S A G A. 
Uh, and then from there, you can find links to the Blood Flow Restriction Podcast pretty much on any podcast platform, Spotify, whatever else. If you just type in Blood Flow Restriction, it, our episodes will come up in this top 20 search results. Wow. Um, it turns out there's not a ton of people producing Blood Flow Restriction content uh, on the internet. So yeah, that would be a good, good place to start. And if you got a YouTube channel? That is coming very soon. We're actually in the middle of building a YouTube studio this week. And so we'll have a studio and what we'll, the plan there is to, to take a lot of what we do on the podcast and we'll make it a little bit more short form and try to reach more people there. The podcast has been really neat. We've reached way more people than we ever thought we would. Uh, but I think YouTube is going to hopefully 200 or 300 X that. Yeah, absolutely. So a question I always ask everyone, Steve, is there a book that comes to mind that has really moved you for any reason? Yeah, I. it's funny. I thought I was going to get out of that question because I didn't respond over email. <laughs> I. So one book that's been pretty interesting to me is Evidence-Based Habit Building by Dr. Melissa Davis. She's a PhD in uh, neuroscience and human behavior. She just talks about really practical steps on how to form habits and on unformed habits that are unhelpful. Um, so I, I tend to be a person that leans really heavy into just as objective and as practical as we can get. Um, and so that book has been really cool. Yeah, that's the first one that comes to mind, evidence-based habit building. Right, no, definitely check that one out. I've discovered some amazing books by asking people that, that simple question. I bet. That's a great question. And finally, Steve, as we finish, is there a quote that comes to mind that you really like? Yeah, the first one that came to mind is, tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. I think in a lot of ways, the quote itself is interesting. But the larger premise to it is, in a lot of ways, I think sometimes the weaknesses that we have, we try to pass them off as virtues or that we try to view them as, well, I'm doing this because of this. And I, I think the quote is really interesting because it just directly acknowledges often, yeah, something that, that we will try to self-identify. We'll do whatever we can to make sure that our, we preserve our kind of identity but directly acknowledging, you know, this tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. It's no, you should look right in the mirror and understand that maybe you just don't have a firm ground that you're standing on. Right. Maybe you don't have convictions. Well, I love this idea. Like I, I, in this BFR world, it's the, it's, we lean really heavy into science and you need to have an extremely open mind as, as a scientist. Right. And I think that's really important. Uh, but there's that old quote that says, you don't want your mind to be so open that it falls out. And so you there there have to be pillars that you stand on and pillars that you believe in and principles that you don't deviate from. And yeah, that's why it's why it's interesting to me. Just to, to finish off, could you summarize the whole podcast is about being proactive around health. So how would how does BFR help people be proactive around their health? It is a tool in some ways that can allow you to mimic some of the effects of higher intensity training in environments or situations where maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense. Situation one, when you're injured, I can't move heavy weights. Maybe situation two, when you're traveling, if you're a frequent traveler, and we know this, it, gyms often, hotel gyms have very limited weights. Maybe there's no weights. BFR can allow you to get a ton out of that low weight environment. Um, so there's multiple situations like that. Where if you have lower or limited access to weights or traveling, you're injured, uh, you need to recover your in-season athlete or just somebody who's down and out. 
BFR can be a tool. So it, in a way that it allows you to maintain momentum in your life, despite some circumstances that might not warrant high intensity training. I think that's the best way to put it. Well, Stephen, thank you for educating the listeners on how blood flow restriction can be really helpful to them. So it's been fascinating. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been a great chat. I really enjoyed it. Next week is episode 240 with nurse practitioner Jonathan Mendoza, who emphasizes the importance of a healthy liver for optimal health. He explains how poor diet and lifestyle damages the liver, leading to inflammation and disease. And he advocates using lab testing to track health metrics and inspire change. He provides practical tips for sleep, nutrition and supplements to support liver function and stresses that small daily actions for self-care add up to improved health. And we talk about becoming proactive and that it requires self-awareness, community support and incremental change. And he really stresses the importance of incremental change. So that's next week, episode 240 with Jonathan Mendoza. If you did enjoy this week's show about blood flow restriction, please do uh, send the episode to anyone you know who would really get some value from it. Please do subscribe if you're on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, and I hope you have a fantastic week.